Church. It is great to be together. My name is Ethan. If we haven't met, I am glad you're here today. Welcome to those who are worshiping online. I love this time of year. I love Love Month coming up in February. Just so you know, our goal every year for Love Month is that every single buddy in the church sign up for at least one project. We do this for lots of reasons. We do it because we do love our city and we want to love our city in tangible ways. And we are these projects make a big difference in the lives of the people that we are serving. But we are also doing it because we know that it also makes a gospel impact. When you serve on your own, that's awesome. And everybody, you get the credit for it. Way to go you. But when you serve on behalf of the church, God gets the credit, Christ gets the credit, and it draws people to pay attention to Jesus Christ. So thank you for being a part of this. Sign up for something today. Also, Sam mentioned first things first. I want you to know the easiest way to sign up for that is on your connection card, the thing at the bottom of your bulletin. If you fill that out, there's actually a little box you can check. All you gotta do is check that box, turn that in at the end of the service, and you will be registered next week. We can eat lunch together, and we'll talk about the church. I hope you're there for that. I get to tell you about our end of year offering. Uh, you know, so we did that in December. You know, a, a portion of everything that's given in December goes to our end of year offering. And I get to tell you that last year's end of year offering is the largest we've ever had in the history of the church. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, praise God for that. Um, we were able to give away $110,000. Uh, the first chunk of that, as we talked about, went to feed uh, the unhoused and the hungry in our city and sponsor the program that we run on Sunday nights there. Uh, the next chunk of that goes to continue the work to build a retreat center down in Brazil to train leaders in the Portuguese-speaking uh, church. And then the last chunk um, went to replenish the SEND fund. This is the money we use to provide internships and residencies for those that are preparing for ministry. Uh, people like Megan Van Grunen, who preached last week, she did an amazing job. She just crushed it. Yeah, way to go, Megan. All right, that was great. Um, I, in, in the preparation for that, Megan and I, you know, we're studying the Bible together and getting ready for that. I got to hear her preach it four times before Sunday, and I was still excited to hear her preach it three more times on Sunday. And I loved that practical reminder to pray like Nehemiah. I even did it this morning. As I walked uh, from the bed to the shower, I, I, I prayed, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Uh, and, and I was here, and I prayed like that. And that's what this series is about. You are here. You're, you're somewhere. Where are you? And how should you pray from the place where you are? Uh, you know, like a, like a GPS, the way a GPS works is it knows where you are and it knows where you're trying to go. And it's like, you are here, drive like this. And it turns out that however you might be stuck in prayer, and lots of us get stuck in our prayer lives from time to time. However you're stuck in prayer, the Bible has the wisdom, the tools to help you move forward in your prayer life. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. Where are you? And what does the Bible teach you about how to move forward in your prayer life? But today, uh, before I talk about prayer, I want to talk just a little bit about every relationship you will ever have 
in your entire life. All of them. Every single relationship you are ever going to have in life. And what I want you to know is that every relationship you are ever going to have in life, it's just, if it's going to be a healthy relationship and a good relationship, it will require both confession and grace. Every relationship you have, if it's going to, I mean, not, now, of course, if it's going to be a toxic relationship and a destructive relationship, well, then these aren't required. But if it's going to be a good relationship, it will require confession of wrongdoing and grace to the one who did you wrong. Now, I don't care what relationship you're talking about. Maybe you're talking about two friends. If you want to have a healthy friendship and a friendship that lasts, eventually you're going to have to say to your friend, hey, dude, I'm so sorry. I blew it. You counted on me and I let you down or you told me that in confidence and I told three people, I'm so sorry. I lost my temper. And there, if you want that relationship to last, you're also going to have to learn to say, it's okay. I forgive you. We'll move past it. Give me some time, but I'll get over it. And this is true of every relationship, even, even your professional relationships, right? Unless it's going to be toxic, you're eventually going to have to say, listen, I totally forgot to do that report. Or if you're a boss, you're going to have to learn how to say to your employees, I know I told you to do that, and that was the wrong thing. And that's on me. That's not on you. That's on me, and I'm going to try and fix it. I'm sorry, guys. I led us all in the wrong direction. You know? Inside your family, in your marriage, you know, some of you wonder, why is my marriage so busted? And it's because you won't ever admit you're wrong. I mean, that's just it. Like, there's no way your marriage is ever going to get fixed unless you're willing to say, hey, that was on me. You know, that was on me. Without these two disciplines, confession and grace, every relationship eventually becomes destructive and toxic and explodes. Without confession, if we won't admit that we've done wrong, well, we have to lie about it and deceive and hide and pretend. Uh, this, this word gaslighting is a relatively new word for me, but that's where you do something wrong and then somebody says, you just did that. And you're like, no, I didn't. I did something completely different. That's not what I just did. You know, and you just lie about what you just did. You know? and, and, and if you don't have confession, this is what you're going to have. You're going to have lies and hiding and dishonesty. Uh, on the flip side, though, if you try to have a relationship without grace, it will eventually descend into revenge and chaos and scorekeeping and paybacks. And that just destroys any hope of a good relationship, friendship, working relationship, family relationship, you name it. And these two ideas, they're sort of paired, aren't they, right? If you're in a relationship where you have learned to expect some grace, that makes it easier to confess the truth. And if you're in a relationship where both people are telling the truth and admitting when they messed up, that makes it easier to give grace, doesn't it? But if one of these things is missing, if we're not both admitting we're wrong, well, then pretty soon it gets into scorekeeping. Or if there's judgment, then we're going to start lying about our mistakes because we're afraid there won't be grace. And I guess here's the thing. I mean, before I move on, I just want to, just want to acknowledge right now something that's happening in some of your lives, okay? Some of you are right this minute letting a relationship you care about fall apart because you won't confess your mistakes. Like that's happening right now for some of you, okay? 
Some of you are letting a friendship slowly die or a marriage turn to dust or a family get ripped to pieces because you just won't say, I'm sorry. You know, Parents, some of you are letting your relationship with your kids fall apart because you won't just say, hey, listen, about the 90s, yeah, I'm sorry for the 90s. Um, yeah, they just weren't a good decade for me. And you bore the worst of that. Like, you're the one who had to suffer because I didn't handle the 90s very well. So I'm, I'm just sorry about that. And, and, and you won't say it. And so that relationship's never going to go anywhere because you won't just say you're, you're sorry. I was wrong. I'll try again. Please forgive me. You know, you're waiting for them. If they said it, you would say it, right? And if you said it, they'd say it. But since nobody will go first, that relationship's just going to die, you know. I mention this about every relationship you have because it's also true about your relationship with God. And it's true about prayer. One of the key ways we can get stuck in our prayer life is when we refuse to honestly and transparently confess our sins to God. Unconfessed sin, unadmitted wrongdoing, creates a barrier in every relationship you'll ever have. And that includes your relationship with God, which means that unconfessed sin creates a barrier to honest communication with God, and it creates a barrier to prayer. I had just turned 16. Uh, I went straight from school to get my driver's license. I got my driver's license, and we drove home. And the plan was that I was going to jump in the family minivan, and I was going to drive to go hang out with some friends, my first solo trip across the metropolis of Elizabethan uh, to go hang out with some, some friends, right? That was the plan. And I start backing out of our garage, and I turn the car too early, and I hit the garage wall. My first traffic accident happened after I had driven the car six feet. That's how far I drove before my first traffic accident. And so I straightened the car up and I, I pulled the car out and I went and looked. And there, amazingly, there was a tiny scratch on the car. You could barely see it. And, and, and even the garage, well, that was a bigger problem, but it was a huge crack down the cinder block wall. But it was sort of in a corner where there wasn't, wasn't well lit. And I didn't think anybody would notice that either. And so I went and got back in the car and then I just paused for this second. Because, see, there was a chance that my dad would never notice what happened. Like the scratch on the bumper of the car wasn't that big, and bumpers get scratched, you know? Could have happened anyway, you know? And the crack that went all the way down the garage wall, well, it was more noticeable, but it was an old garage, and garages settle. I mean, who even knew how the crack got there? And the roof didn't cave in, and the garage hadn't collapsed. I wasn't sure, was this even a problem? And so I sat there, and it was just, a, the pause just lasted for a second. But in my mind, I contemplated the strategy that was before me to just simply never tell my dad. And then it occurred to me that if I tried that, it was actually likely to work. But it would mean that every conversation I had with my dad, until I told him, was mostly a lie. 
because I wasn't saying to my dad the one most important thing I needed to say to my dad, that I wrecked the car into the wall of the garage and the garage was going to fall down. And we could talk about so many other things, right? We could talk about school and how was your day and all the fun stuff, you know. But there was a conversation that needed to happen, and I knew it needed to happen. And as long as I knew it needed to happen and it didn't happen, there was like this lie stuck in the middle of my relationship with my dad. So I went in, went in to tell him. Now, I knew because of who my parents were and the kind of relationship we had, I knew that I was going to get forgiven for this. I knew, there was, I knew that I was going to confess and there was going to be grace on the other side of this relationship. I did not know whether or not I would be allowed to immediately leave to go hang out with my friends. I didn't know what lay between that conversation and when I would eventually be forgiven. There was some, there was some unknown there. But I did know this, that until I confessed what I'd done, my relationship with my dad was stuck. I, of course, got to experience this same scenario um, as a dad, Right? I remember very clearly one time my boys were real, real little, I don't know how old, three, four, five, something like that, little kids, but old enough that they could you know, get into stuff. There were some Oreos sitting on the kitchen counter, and I was going back to the bedroom to grab something before I prepared dinner, and I say to the boys, don't eat the Oreos before dinner. They're for dessert. I walk back, gone just a couple minutes. I come back. There are no longer any Oreos on the counter. And there are two little kids standing over in the side of the kitchen looking like angels with chocolate smeared all over their face. And I look at them and I say, um, guys, is there something you need to tell me about what you've just done? And there was a long pause. They wondered what to do. They marveled at my brilliant detective skills. How could I possibly have known what they had done while I was out of the room? They could lie, of course, right? But then there would be this wall in our relationship, wouldn't there? There'd be this thing that had to be said and it wasn't said. And I would know that they didn't trust me enough to show them grace and tell me the truth. And they weren't obedient enough. I mean, it was right. There'd be this wall. I remember one of them said, We'll put them back. And I was like, no, no, that is actually the last thing I want you to do. Uh, those Oreos are not going back on the counter. Right? They couldn't put it back. They couldn't make it right. They couldn't fix it, you know. The only thing they could do is confess their sins and receive from their father grace. And what they didn't know is I actually had more Oreos and we were still going to have Oreos because I wanted Oreos, right? Um, you know, they were basically going to suffer no ill effects from their crime. Because it was a pretty reasonable crime, you know. See, we're talking about getting unstuck in our prayer lives, right? That's, that's what we're talking about in this series. How do we get unstuck? And we've learned the Lord's Prayer, which is a great place to start. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Learn that prayer as a model for your prayers. Uh, we talked about sustaining and setting aside scheduled times for prayer and learning to stay in prayer. And I've gotten so much feedback from people um, about how that has really unstuck their prayer life, even the last two weeks, and what a gift that's been. And then last week, Megan taught us to let the circumstances of our day drive us to pray. And somebody already this morning pulled me aside and said, Ethan, I'm praying like Nehemiah. I love that. But here's what you've got to know. For some of you, for some of me, for some of us, 
none of these prayer practices are going to matter because what you know is that the one thing you need to say to God is the one thing you're not saying to God. You need to tell God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm praying the same prayer that I've prayed so many times before because I did the same thing I've done so many times before. And, and until you say that one thing you must and most need to say to God, everything else you're saying, you know, is a little bit of a lie. Like it's like you're talking about weird stuff when you need to talk about the stuff. And this is the clear invitation of God's word. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, open to 1 John. We're going to look at four verses, 1 John 1 and 2. If you want to pull it up on your phone, pull it up on your phone. It'll be on the screen. Just four verses that will revolutionize the way you approach your God in honest communication. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I get the impression from popular culture that it's popular and, and, and kind of it's, it's appealing in the present moment to act like everybody's fine. Like other people are bad people, of course. I mean, yeah, we all know that. Other people are bad people. And other people who are bad people do bad things, but not us. We're good people. The other team, the other party, the other nation, the other faction, whoever they are, they, whoa, you should see the bad stuff. They do, but not us. We do good things. This, of course, is crazy. And it's false. And the Bible says that if we talk like this, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It does no one any good to be lied to and told that you're fine just the way they, you are. And don't tell yourself this either. It does you no good to tell yourself that I'm fine. I'm good. We don't need that lie. It does us no good. What we need is grace because the truth is we're not fine. Some of that stuff out there in the world, the bad stuff, some of that stuff is your fault. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he doesn't stop there. I sort of stopped there and that was kind of mean of me because he doesn't stop there. He goes right on to tell you this. But if we confess our sins, just tell the truth about your sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we haven't sinned, well, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I remember what James says, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Isn't that amazing? Do you, you want to know if God's on your side or not? Well, when you act like you're all that and you've got it all straightened out and there's nothing wrong with you, you're perfect, thank you very much. Well, God opposes that. And a God opposes the proud. But God gives grace to the humble if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He goes on, he says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. Obviously, God wants you to live a righteous and holy and obedient life. This is the clear call of God. But if anybody does sin, and John just told us that everybody does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father. This word advocate means we have a defense attorney. We have someone who steps into our defense with the righteous and holy judge who is the almighty Father, God, creator of heaven and earth. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. I want to be clear here. Confession in our prayer life is not about groveling before God. Oh, woe is me. I'm worthless. No, you're not worthless. On the contrary, you are beloved and most precious to God. And God wants nothing more in the whole world than to have his relationship with you to be restored and made whole. But that's not possible if you lie about your sin. Confession is not about groveling. Confession is just about honesty. How does the boy put it in the parable of the prodigal son? I've sinned against heaven and against you. I ask my boys, is there anything you need to tell me? What do they need to tell me? We ate the Oreos. We know you told us not to. We're sorry. You see, when we ask about the prayers of confession, we're really just asking, can you tell God the truth? Lying to God creates a barrier in your prayer life. It doesn't also, just in case you're curious, it also doesn't successfully deceive God because God knows. But, but what I want to talk about is that lying to God creates a barrier to your prayer life. Selfish pride causes God to oppose us. But confession unleashes the advocacy of Christ. Now see, remember, confession and grace are linked, right? Um, I suppose maybe if you grew up with cruel parents who never forgave you for anything, or if you have a cruel professor or a mean boss who's always tearing you down for even the smallest mistakes, in those contexts, it might make sense to lie and hide your mistakes or to always shift blame. We love to do this, right? When we're caught in a mistake, we shift blame. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's the culture's fault. It's the world's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's just anybody's fault by mine. And in those contexts, it might make sense to do that. But None of that makes sense with God. Lie to God, the one who sees all. Shift blame and pretend it's not your fault when God knows that it is. But mostly it doesn't make sense because God is ready to forgive you. God desires your holiness. Obedience matters. And God knows that you cannot even begin the journey of obedience until you are released from the debt of your sins. And when you faithfully confess your sins to God, it unleashes the advocacy of Christ. 
This word advocate, it's, it's the word defense attorney. Uh, Jesus Christ is your defense attorney. I'm a fan of defense attorneys. My aunt was a defense attorney for a long time. But, you know, every once in a while, people kind of hassle a defense attorney. And they'll be like, do you even defend guilty people? Like, you should just defend innocent people. And defense attorneys have to say, well, you know, guilty people deserve a fair trial too. And all that's true. But if you hassle defense attorneys like that, you're, gonna not, you're not going to like Jesus. Because he's the weirdest defense attorney you ever met. He only defends guilty people. That's the only kind of people he'll work for. In fact, it's amazing. His defense, his, his whole legal profession is free of charge with one condition. You just have to admit you did the crime. If you insist it wasn't you, it was somebody else, I didn't do the crime. He's like, oh, I can't help you. I don't know how to defend an innocent person. But if you admit you're guilty, what 1 John says is it unleashes the advocacy of Christ. It's like, oh, you want to plead guilty? Before the judge, the almighty, oh, then I'm the, I'm the lawyer for you. And he walks into the courtroom and he says, your honor, my client admits to it all. He did it, and he enjoyed some of it. He bragged about some of it to his friends. And you're there saying, what, what are you, this is not a defense. You said you were going to be to my defense attorney. He says, you just wait. We're just going to plead guilty to it all. And then the judge asked, do you have any recommended sentence? And your defense attorney, Jesus, says, oh, throw the book at him. Give him the full penalty for his crimes. And again, you're like, what kind of defense attorney did I hire? I mean, I know the price was right, but what did I get myself into? And then the judge offers the sentence. And the defense attorney says, Your Honor, I have one more proposal. If you would let me do the time. If you would let the penalty that belongs to my client instead belong to me. If anyone says he is without sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and if you will just confess your sin, you unleash the advocacy of Christ on your behalf. He becomes your defense attorney, and you don't have to hold on to your guilt if you will just trust in Christ and confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive. He advocates before the Father on your behalf. Your sin is forgiven and the burden is lifted. Your relationship with God is restored. Your prayer life is unstuck. It is amazing. This is one of the best things I know is to confess my sin to God. I love confessing my sin. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Psalm 23. Psalm 23 describes just how awesome it is to confess your sin. So if you're still thinking that you've got some strategy where you're going to pretend like you're not a sinner before a holy God, you need to hear just how awesome it is to confess your sin. Look, I, mean, I said Psalm 23. I actually meant Psalm 32. Uh, Psalm 23 is also awesome, uh, but Psalm 32 is the one I wanna, I wanna, that's about this. It's about how awesome it is to confess your sin. Here's what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit is no deceit. And then he says this, he warns you of what it's like when you won't confess your sins. He says this, when I kept silent 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He says, this is what it's like if you won't tell the truth to God. God opposes the proud. Let that sink in just for a second. When you look at the world and say, I am better than everybody else, they're all a bunch of losers and mess-ups, but not me. I got it figured out. God should be pretty impressed with me. God opposes you. But God gives grace to the humble. He says, when I kept silent, I wasted away. But then look at verse five. He says, but then it dawned on me. I would just acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He says, so here's my advice. Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found so that the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You, God, are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then he turns to you. He says, I'm going to instruct you. I've got some advice for you. I'm going to teach you in the way that you should go. I'm going to give you counsel with my loving eye on you. And here's his advice. Don't be like the horse and the mule, too stubborn, who have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and the bridle or they will not come to you. Don't make God drag you back like some dumb animal. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you upright in heart. I want to tell you a truth here. When you pray prayers of confession to God, they always end in rejoicing. If anyone has sinned and he confesses his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. For we have an advocate before the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So here's the thing. Every relationship you ever have, friend, partner, family, boss, co, whatever, you're going to have to say you're sorry sometimes. And if you won't, you have decided to destroy that relationship. Just to be clear, if you won't say you're sorry, you are choosing to destroy whatever relationship it is. You'll have a fight. And they were worse than you. They even started it. Yeah, but you own your bit. And you say you're sorry. And the same thing is true with God. If you want a prayer life that is unstuck, you need to be honest before God about your sin. And the attempt you're making right now to not tell the truth to God about your sin is useless and will create a wall between you and God. We're not just going to preach about this today. We're going to do it because there's no reason to wait, right? You've got a wall that needs to be torn down by you confessing your sin. Let's just do it right now. I'm going to invite Nathan and Rebecca out right now. And we're going to sing a little song. It's real simple. Uh, some of you might know it. Uh, it was written by a guy named Keith Green. It's based on Psalm 51. But if you don't know it, it's simple. You'll learn it. Um, they're going to sing it through a couple times, and I hope you'll sing with them. And then after that, we're going to go to Psalm 51. And we're going to let that prayer, it's a prayer of confession, and we're going to let that prayer just be our prayer today. 
So let's worship together and then that'll bring us into a time of prayer. pray these words together from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Right now, just bring your sin before God. Confess your fault and failure. He is a righteous judge. He already knows but trust him with a moment of honesty. Confess your sin to God.
so much to confess, God, that those things we have done and left undone, those people we have wounded with our words and thoughts and deeds. Hear now our prayer as we continue to pray together. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Take this minute and be honest with your God about where you are broken and wounded and hurting and believe that he offers cleansing and forgiveness for your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord. to pray together. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Begin right now to trust that God forgives your sins and God does sustain and strengthen you so that you might live for him. Trust in God's strength right now as we pray. teach transgressors your ways so that tent sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Right now, just give your praise to God. For God hears your confession and is faithful and just to forgive you through the power of Jesus Christ. Give your praise to God. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us from all our sin and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation and you have confessed your sin, you are forgiven. And don't you dare carry the guilt and burden of your sin from this room, for it is no longer yours to carry. It's Christ's and he's got it. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk away from your sin into the righteous life he's prepared for you. And then when you need to confess your sin again, And if you haven't trusted in Christ, then I just want you to listen to what we've learned today. Every relationship requires confession and grace, friendships and marriages. But this includes your relationship with God. And your sin is a barrier between you and God. It's a debt you can't pay back. It's a love you cannot earn. You can't uneat Oreos. And you can't undo the wrong you've done in the world. But we can put our trust in the one who is eager to forgive. And in fact, who can heal all the wrong we've done in the world. And if you need to do that today, if you need to put your trust in Jesus, I just want to tell you, I hope you will. We're going to get ready to sing here. We'll all stand and sing together. I'll be over there with some friends, and we would love to pray for you. I would love to explain to you who Jesus is and how he wants to accomplish salvation in your life and restore your relationship with God in a way you never could. Don't waste another day with this barrier between you and God, a barrier you can never take down. Don't waste a day. Let's sing together. I'll be down there. If you need prayer today, come meet me.